Welcome to the Deal with Yield, your podcast series covering the issues that matter the most in crop production. I'm Kyle Reiner, District Sales Manager for Winfield United. And I'm John Zook, Agronomist for Winfield United. So there's a lot of different nitrogen topics being discussed through the industry, all the way from stewardship to application methods, how do I make a profit, what's my potential. Today we're going to dissect some of these topics so we can get the most out of those nitrogen investments. So Kyle, we got horses to bet on here. How the heck are you going to figure out how to treat those horses? And how do we begin this nitrogen, unlock the nitrogen horse? Yeah, so the key to this whole thing is is measurement and, and the steps to do to measure. And when I think about a lot of this stuff is, was it soil? Is it through tissue? Is it through precyhydrate nitrate sampling in season? Is it through modeling? If you're going to put a program together, John, what would you focus on? I think it's got to be, thoroughly, it's got to be a combination of those. Yeah, you could pick one component, say a, a pre-side dress nitrate test. You could pick a tissue test. You could use a model and, and become dangerous. But if you want to have a nitrogen program where you can go back at the end of the year and say, here's how much nitrogen that I got per pounds of bushel and, and I was either short or long, or here's how I'm going to adjust it, you got to use a combinatory approach, okay? And so I think the soil thing... That's pretty well proven, but it's not good by itself. So we got to take a 0 to 12, and most of the time I like to take a 0 to 12-inch soil sample, anywhere from V2 to V5 timing, because that allows us to assess how much nitrogen made it from that fall or spring app like we talked about before. So it kind of sets a stage for here's how much we got, now how much do we need to go forward with. And what form it's also in, right? So we can differentiate. There'll be two forms. The plant mostly takes up nitrate form, and the nitrate form is mobile. That's the form we really care about, but we can also look at the ammonium form, and that ammonium form is going to be fairly stable in the soil, so not as mobile, but the plant really doesn't see that. It's a matter of converting that more into the nitrate through the soil and then filtering it back into the plant. So, so yeah, we can get it grabbed for both forms. Sometimes there's a key to that. Some of you will go out there and pull a sample, and they won't do measure both, and then they'll say, there's nothing that showed up. Where'd it go? Did I lose it? And then we kind of got to circle the trains here and say, did you look in the other form to yep. make sure if that converts? So the good news would be, is if you didn't find any nitrate showing up on your nitrate sample, hopefully it's all in the other form, right? That's correct. But the bad news would be is if you looked at both forms and there was not a doggone thing there. And you hope they forgot your field to apply it. Yeah, hopefully that just they, or we might learn a valuable lesson about using a nitrogen stabilizer with the correct source of nitrogen. There's those things that definitely come into play is, is assessing both of those and making sure that that nitrogen is going to be there when the plant needs it. So that's more of a, a soil measurement practice, but that's never just a standalone. I think you got to pair that with a tissue sample and some type of model going through the season. Because you get into season V5 and after, and you start going, well, we got an inch of rain or two inches of rain. I didn't get on in time. You know, what's happening to my crop now? Did it see the nitrogen I put out there earlier? Or did that dissipate? So I think that's where the tissue sample comes into play. And I mean, we have close to what, 450 to 500,000 tissue samples. And so I've looked at them probably more than I ever should have. And what we see is there's a nitrogen to sulfur and nitrogen to potassium ratio. So if you've ever taken a tissue sample, we've got a little slider bar on there. And that kind of gives an indicator of the answer to the question might be 
you got a racehorse hybrid, feed it, but it's definitely not always put more nitrogen to that, right? It might be feed it, do you need more sulfur? Do you need more potassium? Because those are related to how that plant's going to respond to that nitrogen application. And if it doesn't have enough potassium, but you got plenty of nitrogen there, nitrogen's not getting into the plant. I think a big thing that we have to do is go back to this whole tissue sampling, right? So you couple that with your soil sample and your tissue sample. You got to remember that's a, just a fragment of time in that plant's life. So if you get something that comes back a little bit crazy or super deficient in everything, you might have to look at yourself in the mirror and go, why is that? Go grab a shovel, dig, go out in the field, figure it out. Did you just come off of three inches of rain plus? It's not probably the best time to do it, but look, when I don't feel well, I go into the doctor and what do they do? They draw your blood. Why is that? Because that's right to the source. Just because you're putting macros down on your field doesn't necessarily mean the roots develop into them. Mm -hmm. So think about that during this whole process. And so we talk about all this fancy stuff, N to K, N to S ratios. We got a bunch of information out there on, on tech bulletins and on how to guide through there. But I think really when I start to use those, it's when I get the tissue sample back, Kyle, and I look at it and goes, well, this is my best yielding cornfield on average. It's super green. It's grown like a banshee. And I took a tissue sample on it and it all came back red. The wheels are falling off. What's going on? And that's when I, like you said, look yourself in the mirror and I go, okay, it's red because it's growing so fast that you couldn't give it enough nutrients. So then you start dialing into, is it the right ratios of key nutrients that are there to help that plant make the decision? And really we can bounce that tissue sample, that snapshot in time frame, and put that into a model to say, okay, here's what we're seeing with the growth stages. Here's what we're seeing from nitrogen to potassium. Does the model predict that it's going to be a, a long deficiency or is it just because it's growing so fast, putting on so much biomass, it can't recover? So that's where the models come into play is don't be alarmed if you get a tissue sample and it's all red. That might mean you're good. You're giving as much as it could, but what's the limiting factor? That's what the model helps us figure out. The tissue samples going back, and some of them are coming responsive, some are coming deficient. If they're a deficient or responsive in that V5, V6 stage, do you just give up on that plan, or, or what's your recommendations on moving forward? So there's a couple terms that I use in that space, and that's nutrient hierarchy and elemental prominence. And, I mean, there's only so many nutrients that you can apply or afford to buy. And if everybody said, had it their way and said, hey, five bushel for this, five bushel for that, pretty soon your five bushel should have been 500 bushel. And we know that's not the case. So I like to pick the nutrients for a critical time. And if that shows up deficient or responsive, I make that application. And then I maybe ignore or just slightly watch the nutrients that are responsive or that are deficient, but maybe I don't care about them as much during that timing. So elemental prominence and nutrient hierarchy are, are really some decisions that you got to put into practice at that V5, V8 timing. So you briefly spoke about nitrogen stabilizers. We got Inserve, Instinct, Agritane, Anvil, Centuro. I mean, how many more do you want me to say? How do I know which one's Do you one's know any more? Uh, I'd have to think a little bit longer on this you got all process. the main ones. Right. So... You know, there's a lot of them that, are, that look alike or I think it does the same thing or it's way cheaper. How do we sort through that mess? So I think you got to start with what source of N are you using and how are you applying it? And there's a couple really nice tech sheets that we have and that I use 
to help myself sort through that, that spell out some of the nitrogen stabilizers, their active ingredients, and then show data behind them. But then here's how you use them. This is what you pair it with. Is it your urea application? Is it manure? Is it anhydrous? I mean, that one's kind of an easy one because, I mean, we fall into play over putting ammonia and we just want to protect that from the conversion. But looking at how those nitrogen stabilizers then fit into your program. So there's a bunch of them out there, but know that there's really only two steps that we're affecting. And they either act on one or two of those steps or, or potentially both. So figuring out how you're applying that application is, and what source you're using is probably key to, to finding the right nitrogen stabilizer. And most of our acres in the upper Midwest don't have a lot of irrigation. So guys are trying to figure out, should I use UAN? Should I top dress urea over the top? And we don't control Mother Nature. If you do have a pivot, that's a good source of water that you can spin it and soak it into the ground. But these stabilizers have opened up huge doors in agriculture to preserve the the amount of revenue that we put per acre on the nitrogen. Yeah, so most of the time when we run into efficient use of nitrogen with a nitrogen stabilizer, you actually end up putting too much nitrogen on because you didn't realize you could be that efficient. And so so keeping the nitrogen there as long as you possibly can so that plant can have a, a pool to dig from every day is probably one of the biggest factors that we're missing because a lot of what I hear in the countryside and what I'm told is, hey, nitrogen's cheap. I'll just, I'll just put some more on. And we kind of talked through the stewardship piece, but it's not even about that. It's about having it there when the plant needs it. Who cares about more at this point? It should be less and then making sure the plant gets it when it needs it. Yeah, look, if it's in the form that it leaches, putting more on doesn't solve it. No, there's so, no amount of money that'll solve that guy. No, just dumping more on is, is definitely not the answer. We touch on these model pieces. I mean, how would we factor in? This is kind of the last deciding factor. We got soil, we got tissue. I mean, model. It just seems like technology. Really, we got to do more technology, and we got to use this model with this fancy algorithm. I mean, what does that? What does that really mean? And how should we use something like that? You know, when they first come out, I'm like, how can they predict that? How can they measure how much rain come out of that cloud? Does that even make sense? We're trying to figure out how accurate are they? Can they be that accurate? Patching that in with your soil sample, your tissue samples and all this. It's another part to the process of putting this all together for the farmer and for the retailer that's working. The more things you can couple in there to answer, it's the predictability. The guessing game is kind of over if you can keep putting the pieces of the puzzle instead of having a puzzle of 500 pieces you're putting together together and you're missing 50 of them now we're maybe missing a couple of them and it's given the risk reward thing a lot back to to agriculture due to these models you're right pieces of the puzzle is where it's at soil sampling and tissue sampling are two pieces of the puzzle but think of the the model as maybe like the back panel to that puzzle right you can put the puzzles pieces in there but without having the board there to guide where your corners and your end rows are you never find where you need to start or where you need to end and the biggest win for me i think when i think of a model is it you can look out in the future and say, let's look at four different scenarios. I don't know if it's going to rain in two weeks. I don't know if it's going to rain four inches or nothing, right? And and I don't know what the temperature is going to look like. When are we going to tassel? When's our grant? I mean, all those things are kind of, you think about them, but you can't reflect back to crop growth and development or plant physiology. And the model really, in this case, would be field forecasting tool, really helps you go back 
to look at the agronomics of why you're making the management decision you're making with the tools that you have or the pieces of the puzzle that you've already collected. Along with return on investment, spending that money, what's the probability of return on that? So there's no silver bullet in agriculture, but if you get another pieces to the puzzle, your probability is a success in the end by using every piece that you have given to us in the last 10, 15 years that we never had before this. So we're always looking to improve the Deal With Yield listening and experience. If you visit dealwithyield.com backslash survey, so you type in dealwithyield.com backslash survey, you can find a link to the survey. If you take the survey, you'll be entered to win an Amazon gift card. For more episodes, find us on iTunes, Podbean, and dealwithyield.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes open to residents of the U.S. who are 18 or over. Void where prohibited or restricted by law. Subject to official rules available at dealwithyield.com survey. Sweepstakes end June 1st, 2019. Sponsored by Winfield United.